You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. Every transfer window, I have one or two moments that I say, why are we doing this? We are the stupid ones. These sharks, they go behind our back. They try to screw you and then they try to screw your client while the client doesn't even know that he's being screwed. When you sign a new contract, you come into the dressing room and they say, ah, you're still driving with a small car, you signed a new contract, you should buy yourself a, be- a bigger car. You also have the pressure of the parents saying, ah, you sign a new contract, you get a big signing fee, buy me a new house. The threshold to become an agent is zero, but I think, believe, for example, in Belgium there are 500 agents and I only believe that there may be 15 or 20 who make money with it. So it seems easy, but it's not that easy. Hi there, my name is Richard Clark. Welcome to Sports Content Strategy. That's the name of this podcast and also the consultancy I run helping federations, clubs, rights holders, players with their content strategy, social media strategy and all things digital. On this podcast, I'm speaking to Sten Francis. He runs one of the biggest football agencies in Belgium with a client list including international stars such as Toby Alderweireld and Dres Martins. Player representation is known as a difficult, precarious and unscrupulous industry. Regulation has been difficult to enforce and, as a result, many have been bitten when dipping their toes into these shark-infested waters. That includes the players themselves, who often struggle to secure their financial future, despite earning vast sums in what is a relatively short career. This prompted Francis to write a book called The Bankrupt Footballer, a guide to financial management that outlines the potential pitfalls and how to avoid them. In this podcast, we discuss Sten's fiscal philosophy and how he helps his clients stay solvent and satisfied. Please follow me on all social media. I'm Mr. Richard Clark, E on the end of Clark. And indeed, Sports Content Strategy is out there on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, a positive review on your podcast provider will be very handy indeed. But without further ado, let's talk about how to avoid being a bankrupt footballer with this man. My name is Stan Francis. I'm the CEO of uh, Stir Associates and our company is a, is a football agency that represents uh, football players in Belgium and outside of Belgium. I was a lawyer before and I was a, f- a professional football player also before and uh, that's how I, I got into the business um, first as a lawyer and afterwards uh, people asked me to become their agent so that's a bit my background so I've uh, with diverse backgrounds and now I'm, I'm honestly doing what I love the most. I prefer this over being a football player so uh, it's a good job, it's, it's, it's nice and it's fun. Well the English guys will probably know Toby Alderweireld from Tottenham. Uh, we also represent Tris Mertes from Napoli, uh, Timothy Castagne from Atalanta, uh, Bergamo. I think these are the three most known players, three national team players of Belgium. Uh, so and then well also some under 21s but no nobody outside of Belgium will know them probably. Sten, thanks for speaking to me today. Um, you came to my attention because you wrote a book called The Bankrupt Footballer. Not that I've read it because it's in Dutch and I know there's an English version on the way. But first question: What makes a footballer bankrupt? It's it's quite easy to answer. It's and it's it's spending too much. And it seems so easy to avoid this kind of problems uh, because spending too much is not something that you uh, 
could avoid or could not avoid. It's it's just it's it's really crazy. But spending too much is the main reason why football players go bankrupt. And then people say, yeah, it's just because they're stupid that they spend too much. But it's a little bit more complicated than it sounds, uh, because I think a normal person would make the money that a football player makes, and you put him in an environment where the football player is used to, so a dressing room full of people spending a lot, then to be the only one not spending a lot is not so easy. And then the next step is not, okay, you don't, you shouldn't be spending too much, but you should also be spending wisely. And that's the next problem. But let's say the main reason is that they just spend too much without even being aware that they spend too much. And, and I think that's, that's the main problem because they make a lot of money. They're still saving at the end of the month. They're still saving quite good sums, but not enough to survive after the career. And then that's when the problem starts is when they either stop with playing football or either, uh, well, have their salaries reduced because their level is not the same level as before or because they got injured or whatever. And then to stop spending at that moment is a very difficult one. And I think that's the moment when the problem starts uh, for the football players is the moment that their salaries are reduced, but they have a certain kind of spending pattern and it's very difficult to lower the spending pattern. It's the culture of sport, isn't it, really? that It's it's very short-termist. Uh, we've seen this in the NFL. This is not peculiar to, to football or soccer. It, NFL has the same sort of issues where after players retire, they've got a certain lifestyle, they want to keep that up. There's ego. Uh, I looked on your site and one in three players in the Premier League are getting divorced within a year or two of their retirement as well. So there's a whole lot going on there of... Ego, short-termism, culture. As an agent advisor, how do you try and cut through that and navigate that? It all depends on the players, to be honest. You can advise them as much as you want, but it really... What we try to do is let them look into a mirror. So we, we, we try to make some kind of financial scan or some kind of scan of the assets that they have. Then we give them an idea, okay, now you have, for example, a build-up for 3 million, 4 million of assets, savings on your accounts, uh, some real estate, uh, but you're spending 50,000 euro a month. If you keep spending like this after your career, after a few years, you will be bankrupt. And that's the mirror we try to show them. And then we say, okay, look, considering the assets you have, considering the spending you're doing at the moment, you should have let's say 20 million, which for most players is completely not realistic. And then we try to help them reduce their spending. And that's the most difficult part, to be honest. We, we can make the scan, we can let them look into the mirror. And then all, all the time they say, yes, I, I'm going to reduce my spending. But then in practice, it's not so easy as it looks. Uh, and then you can advise them as much as you want. We still have clients that we... Every three months, we sit together with them. We say, look, this is really too much what you're doing. And every time they have some kind of excuse to say, yes, but these three months, it, it were the holidays, so I needed to go on a holiday. And then I had more time, so I needed to, to go on a holiday with my family and I want to take my family with me. Or they have a wedding or they have uh, this, this, they only wanted to have this kind of watch of 20,000 euro. Uh, but every 
every three months when we sit together with them, with the players that are getting into trouble, they always have this kind of reasoning why their spending was justified during that period. And that's for me the most frustrating and also the most difficult part. You can, what you can't do, well, sometimes they ask us to do it, is to really block their accounts and to give them this kind of budget uh, and they can't touch the rest of their money. But with the players in, in trouble, what we experience is that if we do the system, which we advise to do to some players, after one month they say, yeah, I spent too much this month. I don't have anything uh, on my bank account anymore. Can you transfer some money to, to my bank account? Uh, so they have only have this one bank account that they can use at that moment. Also because of the wives and the family and the father and the mother, they're also asking them to help them. Uh, sometimes they say, yes, but I needed to help my father with the renovation of his house. So that cost me also 20, 20, 30,000 euro. So every time there's something in their life, which for them justifies the spending. While normal people only have two or three or 4,000 euro a month, which they can spend, but they know this is it. While these football players, they have maybe... 50,000 euro a week, which they can spend. If they then still spend only 40,000, they still have the feeling, okay, I still save 10,000 euro a month, which is a lot more than my friends and my family can spend in one month. So I'm doing quite well. And that's 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 so difficult and it's complicated because they don't see the long-term consequences and they don't accept the long-term consequences. Uh, so that's why a lot of players, when they're 35, they, they get into this... Uh, in, this, in these problems because um, they're, they're not used to, to, to reduce their spending and they need to do it. And then also their status is a bit changed. So that's the, when the divorces arise. So uh, if you look at the, the statistics, one out of three divorces, which also often means that they lose 50% of the assets that they've saved uh, until the 35, which makes it even more difficult after. Uh, so you have this combination of factors and we try to help them and we try to assist them. But I'm, I'm afraid we lost a bit the naivety that we had in the beginning, that we could help everybody. Because sometimes we really send them an email, look, if you continue like this, like you have been doing, despite our advice, we can't help you anymore. And we prefer not to work with you anymore. And that's maybe the most difficult moment when we work together with a player, when you see really this is, this is not... This is not possible. And we have cases like this. Wow, you've, you've got rid of clients because they've been not acting on your advice. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is not an easy one because you really feel bad for them and you really want to help them. But at a certain moment, uh, I've had clients then who were having these kind of financial difficulties and who then decided to terminate their contract with their club while I knew that they, they needed this contract to to reimburse their loans at the end of each month. So when I was fighting with the banks to give them some kind of uh, delay in, in the reimbursements, and then they suddenly decide to terminate the contracts, despite my advice not to do it. And then I also lose face with the banks because then I was fighting for them. And then they say, look, but you're saying that they can't pay, but he terminated the contract. Hmm. You know, really with this club. So, and these are the moments that you say, okay, look, uh, we, we can't work like this. Um, but we are only advisors. We are not. Uh, we don't execute or implement. Uh, it's, it's it's up to them. If, because yeah. 
if, if they don't do it themselves, they, they will never learn. So how do you gain someone's trust? Because you're coming in as an advisor. We know uh, certainly footballers in major leagues like the Premier League or Syria are will be surrounded by, suddenly surrounded by lots of friends once they get a big contract. And there's going to be family in there too. They don't know who to turn to. They don't know who to trust. They often rely on their family. That sometimes works out, but often someone's brother or their father is their agent. And sometimes that works out well, um, but it can lead to problems down the line. And you're another another voice and an external voice, certainly from their family. So what do you do as an agent to get uh, a new client, a potential new client, to trust you? Except for the young players, 95% of our new clients is through reference. It's really when a player has a problem, they discuss it in the dressing room, whether it's a problem with their agent because they feel that their agents are not doing what they should be doing or that the agent has been doing things behind their back which they don't like or just because they're, they're having financial difficulties or they don't know anybody who can help them with, with the financial side of, of their career. Then we have the reputation that we are the right party in Belgium. So I think... Our business model is really through reference, so we really need to deliver services at a certain quality so that people talk about us. And then I think that's the best way to do it, because just to introduce yourself, I will solve this. I'm here to help you. I think everybody is saying this in the world of football. All agents will say, yeah, we can help you with this, we can help you. But I think the best way is just true reference that they say, okay, this guy this guy has been having problems. Could you talk to them once or twice? And that's what we do. And then we sit together with them. We listen and try to give already a first advice. Then they call us back for a second advice and then a third advice. And then they say, okay, look, we want to work with you. Uh, so we have to earn the trust in the beginning. So we don't charge anything in the beginning. We try to help them where we can. And then after a while, you know whether you're the right kind of advisor agent for them or not we grow so it's not an aggressive growth it's not hard selling it's it's just we yeah, had true reference i think that's 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 our model you wrote a piece called the danger of contract improvements which i thought was quite an interesting take <laughs> the fact that, that what's seen as a positive can turn out to be a negative I, I, just explain to me your 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 theory on that one well to give you an example i have now one client in belgium a young player 18 years old He's earning 5,000 euro nets per month, which for him in Belgium is a good contract, a decent contract. Suddenly he starts to play in the first team and now he's being followed by English Premier League clubs, uh, top clubs in Europe. And we are sitting together with his club to um, discuss new contracts. So this guy at the moment is making 5,000 euro a month. He's spending... 3,500, 4,000 euro per month. So he saves 1,000 euro. His new contract will be around a little bit less than 100,000 euro nets per month. Uh, so he goes from 5,000 to 100,000. At that moment, he can say, okay, if I still spend 90,000 euro, I save 10,000 euro, which is double of what I'm earning loss of what I was earning last month. In their mind, they're doing quite well because before they were saving 1,000, now they're saving 10,000, but their spending pattern has gone up so dramatically. Uh, if they continue with this like 
this guy is 18 if he gets this contract when he's 19 and he gets a similar contract until he's 35 let's say he has never more contract increases that means that he is spending 90,000 euro a month but to spend 90,000 euro a month when you're 35 until you're 85 or 90 if you're lucky and you die when you're 90 you need to have so much money on your account when you're 35 that it's just not possible so they have this kind of false feeling of security that everything's going going to be okay because they're just saving more because of the contract increase uh, and that gives them a bad feeling and next to that you also when you sign a new contract you come into the dressing room and they say ah you're still driving with a small car you signed a new contract you should buy yourself a, a bigger car so we always also have this pressure you also have the pressure of the parents saying ah you sign a new contract you get a big signing fee I want a new house, buy me a new house. And that makes them spending more. It's not because they consciously say, now I'm going to spend more. No, it's just because all these factors around them change. And at the end of the month, <clears throat> they still see that they save a lot of money. And that gives them the, the, the false, feel, false feeling of security. Uh, so that's why what I ideally, I like to start working with these players before they sign their big, first big contract. Because then you can really say, okay, now you're going to make 100,000 euro net per month, but you will invest 90,000 euro every month with stocks or, or, or houses or, or apartments, whatever, but you will invest the 90,000. You still have 10,000 euro to spend uh, every month, <clears throat> but that's fine to 10,000 euro, but it's not fine to spend 90,000 euro. But if you start working for a client who's 27 and who has been spending six, seven, eight years, 90,000 euro per month, it's so difficult to change them because then they're used to it and then changing the, the people's attitude towards money is, is so difficult. So that's that's why these, well, the English players the, the, in the academies of, of the top clubs and as soon as they're 18, 19 and they're starting to make 50,000, 60,000 pounds per week, it's so tricky. It's really tricky. If you don't, then at that time, don't have the right environment, then you have really have a problem. Property. I, I, I had a, a friend uh, who played professional football uh, in the <coughs> Premier League, and he his financial advice was from a player who said, every year you're a pro, buy a property. No, <laughs> that's, that's, I, that's a very good one. Yeah, and, and I don't, and it's actually done him a lot of good because he had his ups and downs. He didn't have the longest career as a pro, but despite all his ups and downs, he came out with, uh, you know, whatever it was, seven, eight, nine properties, and that is the basis for his financial future. But that was the level of financial planning at that age. Not that it was actually bad advice as it goes. What's your attitude to property now as an investment for players? Well, I think, honestly, I prefer that they buy every year an apartment or two apartments uh, rather than uh, that they spend the money. But also the advantage of, of property and, and, and real estate is as soon as you have bought it, uh, you have a loan to reimburse. So you have to reimburse this loan every month. So you can't do anything else with your money unless you're really uh, risky. Uh, so I think... What I feel for players who are having difficulties with their spending pattern, I advise them rather to invest in property 
than to invest, for example, in a stock portfolio or in bonds or whatever, because there you have the risk. Okay, then they see at the end of every month, they get the feedback from their financial advisor and they have 1 million, 2 million uh, build up in, in stocks or bonds and in, in, in their portfolio. But the problem with the portfolios is you can exchange the portfolio within 24 hours, you get your money. While with real estate, to get your money back as soon as it's invested, it's it's there and you can't get it back unless you sell an apartment. But that will take time while the, the portfolio, it, it's, it's 24 hours and it's uh, they can get to the money. And for players who are having problems with their spending, property protects them in a better way than portfolio. On the other hand, I always think it's wise to, to, to diversify. We, I'm not a, a financial uh, advisor as such. I'm not a wealth manager. I'm not a financial planner. Uh, but everybody knows that uh, diversification is, is probably the best way to protect your assets and your wealth. So I always think it's good uh, but because also you have property and property. Uh, we have players that want to invest in Ibiza. In, uh, we had players who wanted to invest in Congo Brazzaville in apartments. Hmm. So I'm not sure whether that's the right kind of property because uh, I, I always believe that just safe investments are, are the more boring investments. So in the end, the financial planning of a football player is not so complicated. What I see is that a lot of uh, financial advisors try to get into these structures and image right structures where you can also invest with and the more simple an investment structure for a player the better uh, you don't need to be complicated the, the the one you're referring to the player every year buying one apartment if you do, can do it five six years you have five six apartments at the end of your career and then you make probably more with these five six apartments than a lot of people that have to go to work every day, uh, and then you also have this 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 monthly return on investment. So I think that's that's a good plan. So don't make it too complicated. For example, having real estate in different countries is also not something that I I would advise because it also has some tax consequences. Um, so just I think the best thing you can do is if you're from a guy from from belgium you and you're from antwerp invest in real estate in antwerp if you're a guy from from manchester in, in england just advice i would advise buy something that you know in, in the area that you know uh, don't let uh, people be, let you believe that you should invest somewhere in switzerland or whatever uh, invest in something that you know and and that your parents know and even if you lose a little bit on return it's safe and you know in, in what you're investing. We've talked about investing, but there's also the capacity for players to earn more money, commercialization, growing yeah. themselves as brands. Um, what's your approach to that? I mean, I'm, I'm a consultant in social, in social media and I, uh, I've helped a lot of players with their, with their content and social media. Uh, do you see value in that? Do you encourage that with a view to commercial deals? No, I, I, I definitely see value in this. Um, the only thing what I see also is that it it only works for the the very famous players. You really need to be a Premier League player. So for the average Belgian player, it doesn't really have value. Um, it can have some value, but then it's it's not a uh, you can you can't monetize this value in a way. For example, if if you're a bit uh, active on on social media 
journalists like you more and after your career to say, oh, this guy, he makes sense what he's saying. Uh, he's, he's intelligent. Uh, we could invite him. We, we could get, he could get a job or whatever. But for the top players like, like Lukaku, uh, Hazard, then it definitely is a, is a model that you can monetize and where you can create value and where you can make a difference. And I still believe that there's a long way to go. Um, the, the guys from Rock Nation are now getting very active in this market. And then you see that the American model is, I think, 10 years ahead of our European model. And I believe that for the top players, there's a, a lot of potential if you do it wisely, you need to be careful. You don't need to be aggressive. You need to be genuine also. I think one of the main problems I see is that sometimes it can be a bit fake that people are trying to promote themselves in a way which is not the way that I know them and that also the fans don't really believe them anymore. Um, but there's a lot of money in in, in to be made uh, on with, with with social media with image rights, um, but it's not so easy because you also have to you know, have the legal side of the image rights, and then there are a lot of problems. There are only a few specialists in in in, in this matter, and if you don't have the right advisors, then also it can be a bomb that explodes in your face because if you sign different image rights agreements with different brands and. The brands are having problems with the other deals you signed and you can get into trouble as well. But in the end, if you do it in a good way and you do it in a genuine way, then I believe you can you can create a lot of value uh, during the career, but also after the career. But it's only for the, let's say, top 10% players in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, ch I challenge that a little bit. In my experience, I've found that some players uh, who may not be the top players if you they are creating if you come to them and say well we're creating this brand we 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 are we are pushing you forward in terms of what you want to be post career i found that has helped players yeah. with the transition the fact that they are actively doing something to build themselves um after they stop playing because you know we've already spoken about the the sh extreme shock affects them emotionally and leads to some very expensive behavior, shall we say. Do you get mm -hmm. what I'm saying there? No, I agree. I think, and that's what I meant also with the, the average Belgian player, which is not a national team player, for them to indeed prepare their after career, I think it can be very useful. Um, because then you can really promote yourself in a way too, that you can make indeed this transition. Um, but what I don't expect for them is that uh, a normal player of a small Belgian club that he could get commercial deals out of it, which makes it worthwhile, the investment of being on social media every day and pushing it through. I think it's more like something that can benefit, well, where they can benefit from in, in, in the long run. That's, that's, that's my belief. Um, and indeed, what I, for example, see with, for example, a guy who has done this very well is, is Vincent Company. Uh, if if anybody thinks about Vincent, I believe they will say he's smart, he's intelligent, he is so much more than a football player. He is an intellectual who can well get any job in football. For example, I, I expect him to be one day the the president of the Belgian Football Federation. But I think he aims higher. I think he aims to become a FIFA president or a club owner. Or and and 
if you think about him, then you say, yeah, he's, he's, he's an intelligent guy. He has uh, also uh, a degree in management. So he has done this, I think, in a very good way. I, I, I know the, the guy who has helped him with this. Um, but also in a genuine way, because he is a smart guy and he is an intelligent guy and he has his own opinion on politics and, and, and all other stuff. So he's a guy you can you can discuss with. Uh, so for him, it has had commercial value, but it has also the the after career value that's for him maybe even worth more than the than the commercial deals during the career. How does he train as an agent? Because there isn't. Well, the world did you train as an agent? Because there there isn't aren't many schools, so most of the time it's uh, lawyers and accountants, right? And you went the lawyer route, I believe. Yeah, I, my background is I so I have a degree in law, master's degree in law, and also a master's degree in uh, in, in business economics. Uh, so my background is uh, both business and law, um, which helps me a bit. But honestly, it's all learning on the job. All the things that we've written, all the things that we've produced as far as content is concerned, it's really on-the-job learning. You can't learn it anywhere. Uh, now it starts to develop this kind of business of, of education of agents, and you see that some agents are also now starting some courses. And um, But it's really, I think as in, any, as in any business or in any job, you really need to learn it on the job. Uh, the problem is that in... in in the world of football as an agent, there's no framework. Um, the legal framework is also not clear. Um, so you're also working in an environment where there are no real rules, where you just can, well, say bullshit and people still believe you because there's no truth, because there's no education, there's no no yes or no, because agents lie and cheat and, and they do whatever it's necessary to convince the client that they're the best agent. So it, it's you, you can't compare two agents also. Uh, you can compare a lawyer, you can have a good lawyer and a good tax advisor, for example, who's doing a good job and he doesn't bring you into financial or legal trouble. An agent, you can judge an agent on getting a deal done, but you have no idea what kind of deals you lost or what kind of money you lost. So it's very difficult to compare agents and, and it, there is no... To start as an agent, people send me a lot of emails asking me what should I do, what should I study. I think uh, a background in, in, in law or in business is also always good, but it's 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 really you can learn it on the job. Um, so yeah, it's 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 not so it's not a complicated job, but it's the most complicated job in the world. Uh, the threshold to become an agent is zero. But I think, believe, for example, in Belgium, there are 500 agents, and I only believe that there may be 15 or 20 who make money with it. Uh, so it seems easy, but it, it's not that easy. I believe there should be created more contact. There should be creating, we, we should be creating more information, not only for the agents, but also for the players, and just that, that they know what's happening. Because ask a player, what's your agent doing for you? Most of the time they say, yeah, he's there every weekend when I play a game. And whenever there's a transfer, he, he assists me. But is he, is he working on the transfer? Is he doing anything else for you? Is he giving you advice or is there any value that he's creating? And then mostly they say, yeah, but I don't care whether he's creating value. I don't have to pay him because the clubs are paying him. 
And that's also a problem. So if you have a, an accountant or a lawyer, you pay him and you say at the end, this was an expensive lawyer. He has only written one letter and he was expensive because the letter was not top quality. But these players are paying their agents through their clubs. So the clubs are paying 100,000, 200,000, maybe 1 million euro a year. And the player doesn't have an idea that, first of all, this kind of money is being paid to the agents. And second of all, whether this value is justified for the work that he's been doing for the for the client. And that's also a big problem um, in, in, in the world of, of football or, or the world of the, the players. They don't have a, They don't have a clue of what's happening and what agents should be doing, what they could be doing. Uh, can they expect more? They they don't know. They don't know. I mean, there's a, there's always been the issue of lack of regulation with agents, and obviously you've you've got to be licensed. But uh, the approach of the authorities, whether that is FIFA or or the English FA, I'm not sure this this is the situation in Belgium. It, it seems to have varied between trying to regulate, trying to be more less fair, trying to regulate. What's what's the the best approach, and what what's a and given a, a couple of things that you that you might do to control the situation a little better. I think first of all, it should be a lot more transparent. The problem is, and we had this discussion now in Belgium because maybe you know there was a big football scandal in Belgium uh, one year ago and also a few weeks ago, where some agents have been arrested, some club directors have been arrested. Uh, mainly three parts: first of all, corruption, uh, money laundering, and uh, match fixing. Well, everyone in Belgium is saying, yeah, we should have more regulations. We should solve this problem. Um, but if you look at it, the regulations that have been breached or that have not been respected, for example, match fixing, there is enough regulation to avoid match, match fixing or to, to, to attack match fixing. Um, if you look at corruption, there's just general penal law about corruption so you don't need to create any additional regulations for this if you look at the money laundering the tax rules are very clear as far as, as money laundering are, are concerned so my opinion is that you don't have to create uh, more rules i think the only thing you can create is more transparency uh, what are the agents being paid uh, is the player okay that the agent is being paid this kind of uh, money um, you have the problem of, of dual representation where the agent can also represent both player and club, but then also the player should be aware of the consequences that there can be conflict of interest. Now the players, they don't, honestly, they don't have, have a clue that their agent may be more protecting the club than uh, protecting the player. So if you ask me, should there be more regulations? I don't really think so. I think we have more problem of, of, a culture which is not good. Um, you have a culture of, uh, in football, everything's possible as long as you're not caught, it's okay. Uh, it's it's an immoral culture um, which already exists 20, 30, 40 years. And the people running football look at FIFA, but also look at the federations, look at the, the leagues of the clubs, the people who are running these, these, these leagues and federations. They are already so long... A, a long time in football they are used to this corruption to these kind of structures and as long as you're not being caught everything was being was fine so i think what we need in football is is not more regulations but it's more independent and professional people 
who can look at the product of football and say, okay, this is not the right way. We should uh, try to to make a new kind of framework which is better for everybody. At the moment, if you look at, for example, at the Belgian Football Federation, the president of the Belgian Football uh, uh, Federation, he is the CEO of a club, Charleroi. His brother is one of the bigger agents in Belgium, and he needs to create a framework for clubs, agents and players. Obviously, he will protect the clubs and the agents while the players are being left outside. You should have an independent guy saying this is the way to do it. We're completely independent of any interest of any stakeholder. And then I think you can get a lot farther and, and, and a lot you get a better product. That's what I also hear that's the case in, in the NBA and the NFL. You get people from private businesses who make the move to these uh, leagues, but they're completely independent and they really look at the long-term interest of all, all stakeholders. And that's, I think, the main problem in football. So you don't, for me, you don't need to have more regulations for agents. There are enough regulations. There's enough, uh, not only football regulations, but all general regulations about tax fraud, about corruption. Um, but it should be looked into and uh, the culture should change that as long as you're not being caught, it's fine. I think that's that's one of the main problems that, that football is dealing with at the moment. What's your approach to the pastoral care of a player? Because outside of transfer negotiations and new contracts and financial planning that's fine but that's that may not be a day-to-day relationship and yet helping players with uh acclimating to a new club etc i know there's player liaison offices at clubs as well but but do you get involved in that side of it and what framework have you got set up it really depends on the club you have clubs where they have like 20 people doing the perfect business for the players to to get them integrated to get housing to get their their families integrated um on the other end you also have clubs where they just say look we pay you a very big salary don't start complaining uh find out yourself and then you really need to help them uh but it's it's it it can be very complicated to be honest uh, moving from one country to another country is not so well, there's a lot of administration, uh, you don't speak the language, and if then the club doesn't really help you, then we need to help the player. Uh, and then we need to go to the, the local banks, to the local uh, real estate agents to help them and to, to follow up and to, to arrange the, the moving, for example, from one country to another, but also the tax uh, consequences. And, and there's a lot of formalities that you should be doing or following. Um, and some clubs are really, honestly, I think the English clubs, they're quite strong at this. Uh, they, they, they have this team of, of, of experts which can help them. Um, obviously, they, they can't do everything, uh, but they can do a lot. Uh, if you look to Italy, if you look to, to Spain and, and France and, and Germany, it's a lot less. And there we need to assist them a lot more. Uh, so it really depends on the club and normally I think it's a cooperation between between club and agent and player and to set up everything and to make them to make the integration as, as, as easy as possible so what we do for a client really depends on the club and also on the wishes of the client uh, sometimes the wives want to take care of this sometimes the players want us to take care of this so it's it's the, really depends on case by case and when you're 
negotiating those all important new contracts or first contracts what's your what's your approach what are your primary aims my primary aims and this really sounds stupid <laughs> because everybody will say it is really to listen to the client what does he want um i think that's that's the main thing um i was in a discussion yesterday i was in milan uh, to discuss a possible transfer and the club was saying yes but this is this is good business for you and i told him yes maybe this can be great business for me but i don't know whether it's great business for the client to make this move already now and then you really have to listen to them i think we're we go very far in this in a way that before we start the negotiations we sit to, together with them uh, i always try to make the first offer because that's something that i always think is very important to make the first offer but before we make the first offer i sit down together with the player and say okay this is what we're going to offer why do we offer this we don't offer this because this is a lot of money because we have as a, as a reference this player this player uh, we know that he is earning this and because of this this reason i think we can ask more because if you don't do it this way you also have the risk that the club will talk to the player directly and then the player knows why we're asking certain kind of things because clubs are also smart they they try to go behind your back some from time to time they try to give the player the the impression that what we're asking is completely crazy so i really prepare them together so that if needed and the the player is being approached directly by the clubs that he knows why we're asking something and also that i know that he's supporting what we're asking and then i think you're very strong and then it's very difficult as a club to undermine the negotiation position of of the agent and the player uh, so that's really where we start with we we try to say okay this is the financial side but sports side maybe it's better to stay one more year in belgium uh, then you're 2021 to make the move to to England or to Italy or to to Spain. And then you sign a four-year contract, and then your big contract should be there when you're 25, 26. So that's a bit the way we try to approach things. Obviously, this is the perfect world when it's the 31st of August and suddenly there's a big European club calling you. Uh, you don't have the time to prepare this. Then you just say, okay, look, if you now want to make this transfer happen then you should pay this money and then you talk to the player and then the player says yes or no. Uh, so, But normally with contract extensions, you have the time to prepare everything in a, in a good way. Transfers can be really one day to another. It can complete. It can be a complete change in, in tactics and in strategy. And then you have to, to have the trust of, of, of the player that, that what you're doing is also in the best interest of the player. But if you talk enough with the player, I don't think that's, that's a real issue. You know what the player wants. What I see happening is a bit the, the other way around, that a lot of agents talk to the player in a way that's good for them instead of in a way that's good for the player. So they don't listen to the player. They just push the player towards a direction that's interesting for the agents. Um, but that's, 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 that's not our, our approach. Is it hard, in a way, at times, not to take that approach? Only because you've already talked about the fact that some players haven't acted in the way that you've wanted, and I'm sure you've been in this business enough to, um, how should I say, been bitten by a few sharks, shall we say. No, um, no. So do you get cynical, and do you have to always manage yourself as an agent that your attitude is, is on the level with your client? Every transfer window, I have one or two moments 
that I say, why are we doing this this way? We are the stupid ones. Um, these sharks, they, they go behind our backs and they don't do anything. And then they they, they try to screw you and then they, they try to screw your client while the client doesn't even know that he's being screwed. And I understand, honestly, I really understand the problems agents are dealing with. If you start as an agent and you do it always, I think there's no agent, well, there, there may be some exceptions. Most agents really start with the idea, I'm going to work in the best interest of my clients, for the best interest of my clients. But then you work, when the player is 16 until he's 19, you work for him every day, night and day. You go to the games, you're there, you solve the problems. And then suddenly when uh, the player is 19, he's doing well, you make, you don't even need to make a mistake. The player gets into touch with a big, for example, the captain of his team who is being one of the, the big uh, players in his country and he's with an agent and then he says, yeah, you're small agent. You should not be working with him. You need a really uh, a big guy um, to get you the best possible contracts. And then the, the player starts to have his doubts and then he leaves the agent and the agent has invested three years in the player, uh, done everything he could. He has done the long-term strategy, staying in the club, not signing for a big club yet, but keeping him in the club, getting small commissions to wait for that moment when he goes to the big club that you're still there. And then the player makes the move without the agent he started with and, and he takes the bigger agent. And then I understand that the next time you have this kind of profile as an agent, that you say, okay, now when he's 16, 17, 18, I bring him immediately to the bigger club for the bigger commissions and I don't care what happens with the player, at least I earn some money. And that's what I see happening a lot of times and I can't blame them. Honestly, I can't blame them. I think we've just been been a bit lucky that until now this approach has had its return on investment because it's an investment that you'd make and players didn't leave us at the moment that they were going to make a big step. We have had players five, six years ago when we were still smaller in Belgium. We had players who were having their doubts but if you then are lucky to deliver but some because sometimes you, it's not and that's something that players don't understand. It's not that you work with a big agent. You always need a bit to have a bit of, of luck in, in your career. If somebody gets injured and you can make the transfer to this club because of this injury, it's not about having the right agent or not. It's it's having just this, this kind of a bit of, of luck. Um, obviously, you need to have an agent who works for you. But I know that a lot of agents are really trying to work while the bigger agents are just waiting and they just move around people uh, and players uh, because they, they make money out of it. So it's 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 not dealing with these sharks. Every every transfer window, one or two days, you I don't say we're depressed in the office, but we have people that are being depressed. And I still, even after these these ten years that we're in the job, I still can't cope with this in in a good way uh, because that's that's really so frustrating and, and I know it's frustrating. That's why our approach is, and maybe it's also a bit naive, uh, we won't take players during a transfer window because that's not correct towards the agents they are working with. If we have a club for a certain player and he works with an agent, we will never directly contact the player. We will always say, okay, who's the agent? Okay, we will talk to the agent. And only in September, October, we're open to sign new clients. Uh, because I think that's 
with a bit also respect towards the agents and agents don't respect each other uh, so it's it's a very it's a, it's a it's a world full of sharks and the biggest sharks are most of the time the sharks with the biggest mouth and who can sell the best and who can lie the best and uh, but players are, are a bit naive in this and and they lay, they make well they let the agents make their mind go crazy and they let them make stupid decisions sometimes because um, so yeah it's it's, uh, it's not an easy world to be honest it's the best job in the world but it can also be because it's you're so emotionally connected to your work and to the player um, that sometimes if the, you, you if you make a mistake as an agent and the player leaves you I think that's 100% normal. But if you know that these sharks are lying and trying to give an impression towards a player that it would be better to work with them while you know 100% that it's not true, that's for me the most frustrating part in the business. And that's something that I don't I don't know how to solve this situation. And I'm, if, if I would ever stop doing this business, then it's because of this. Because that's for me the only negative aspect is that these liars and cheaters, they try to do anything, they, they're, they're corrupt, they buy people, they, they give money to sports directors to make a deal happen, while we don't do it. And then they say, yeah, look, I'm, you should work with me. Yeah, they should not be working with you because you should be in jail. Um, and that's frustrating. And I think this is something that a lot of agents can, well, they, 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 will, they will admit that this is, this is a, it's not a problem because it's business. But lying and cheating is a problem, and the, the, the football culture is a, is a culture of lying and cheating, and that makes it sometimes a bit a bit a difficult world to to work in. I think I better take this conversation on, on an up because we <laughs> <laughs> it's going <laughs> it's going a bit going a bit depressing. And just just a couple more. Um, obviously, you you're based in Belgium, and I think all of your clients, or the vast majority of your clients, are Belgium. That's a selling league. Um, it's a selling league. It's a, yeah. a, 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 a lot of your clients will go outside, and you're saying you've got uh, Aldeveldi in in London, you've got Martins in, uh, in 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 Napoli, you've just been in Milan. So, from a legal perspective, you're having to deal with different countries. Does are there legal differences? Are there cultural differences that you've noticed over your ten years dealing with all these different countries as, you, as you've exported these players? Uh, yes, uh, there are legal differences and there are cultural differences. Legal differences, whilst we are in Europe, every country has its own rules. And sometimes these rules are completely crazy, not realistic. And I believe the European Union should really start, well, maybe the you, you guys won't be in it anymore, but I really think that they <laughs> should start. Play nice, play nice. Yeah, no, but <laughs> I voted Remain. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of of, of the European Union, and uh, I, I believe that this makes what what they do for for the people in Europe is is crazy, and people don't see the value of it. But in our business, it's the value is not there yet. There are too many differences between the countries uh, to get registered. And to give you an idea, I needed to get registered in Spain at a certain moment. Uh, and one of the conditions was an interview in Spanish. I don't speak one word of Spanish. Uh, so I had to do a, a Skype call in, in Spanish and I, that was really embarrassing in the end. And, and they gave me the registrations also in Italy now. They, they changed regulations. And 
it, it, the threshold to, to, to be registered in a legal way in, in the different countries is, is not so, is quite high, so it's not so easy. So people underestimate this. A lot of agents, they just don't care or they work with a local guy or whatever. We try to be registered in every country and that's not easy. So there are definitely legal differences. Cultural differences, definitely also. Um, Italians are completely different than English guys. Um, so you also have <laughs> Turkey, China, which is always interesting. Uh, you have the, the Middle East with uh, Qatar and then Dubai. And every region has its own, well, preferences and approaches. And every, well, every country has its advantages and disadvantages. I think uh, Italian people, they... It's a show. It's a show. I think I don't know a lot of uh, normal pre presidents in Italian football. Uh, I think they're all a bit crazy in a good way or in a bad way. Uh, so when you have to deal with them, they like to have this kind of show. Uh, they, for them, it's not a good negotiation when they have not been shouting and screaming towards you. I think. Um, I think in Turkey they will always try to screw you more the agents than the clubs. I believe, but. Turkish football is so complicated. In China, you have to be patient and you have to work with the right agent and they, they can be very slow. So every country has its own, it has its own culture and, and that makes it interesting. The English ones are mostly the most uh, professional in a way that they they know what they're doing. Uh, they, they have uh, also a lot of people working with them. In, in Italy, for example, you can only have to deal with the sports director who does the negotiations, but also all the formal aspects. And it's, it's completely different. While in English, in England, the, the, the process is, is a bit more straightforward and, and transparent. And uh, so, you yeah, know, it's, it's, uh, I, I prefer to work internationally or cross-border because that makes it interesting. And, and there are not a lot of agents who, who work cross-border because of different things, because of the, the legal differences, also the cultural differences, but also because a lot of agents just keep their clients within their country because it's fine for the clients. Our clients are mostly, I think 90% of our clients are clients that are not happy to stay for the rest of their career in Belgium. They need to make this step abroad to have a successful career. And that's why we focus a lot on the, the cross-border transfers. Just finally, where do you want to go with your agency? Is it just a case of growing, growing more, more clients, bigger deals, or, or is there a is there a greater plan than that? No, uh, we we have a long-term plan, a plan over 10, 15 years. Um, I think what we are now in Belgium, and that's maybe a bit arrogant, but I think we're nearly there. Is that we're becoming a reference that people are trying to to be like us. Uh, some people are even trying to copy our website, <laughs> oh, which is a bit strange. But I think now our next step is in, in the short term is uh, we have now started with somebody in Holland, somebody in Denmark, a guy in Italy, um, and we're talking to a guy in Portugal. Uh, so the next step is try to, in the next five years, to grow locally in these countries in the way that we have grown in Belgium. And then I think the step after that should be to to make the move to to England and, and, and to Germany to do best leagues. But to go there, I think we should be ready in the rest of Europe and to have the reputation in the rest of Europe that what we're doing is... is is good for the players and the players need to come to us whenever they they're facing problems or whenever they 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 think they need us so our ambition 
I think we have had an impact on Belgian football. Uh, in the beginning, people were making fun of me, uh, the way we were working, and they said, yeah, you're, you're doing all these things and you will never get paid, and in the end there will be a bigger shark and he takes your player. Now people see that our model can work, that the transparency where we fight for and the way we approach our clients, that they're intelligent people and that we give them control over the career, because a lot of agents try to take control over the career, the career of the player, we give them the control. I think this model is working and now we need to test this model in in different countries and in Holland now it's going to be a major challenge because there you really have big agents like Raiola, uh, Rob Janssen of Wasserman, so you have some big agents so we need to try to get some clients over there to, to grow further and to, to develop our business and then hopefully in 10-15 years people will say okay we were really an international firm and uh, we we have in different countries our offices and people believe in what we do. I think that's the most important thing that what we do, agents are crooks and that's the reputation agents have had. And I think we're changing this reputation and that's the long-term business. If in 15 years we've changed this, this approach towards agents, then I think uh, we were very successful, but (laughs) it's still a long way to go. Stan Francis, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. Sports Content Strategy.